0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 65. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. As you may have seen, I did not actually create a podcast for Tuesday because I was seriously overwhelmed and just kind of worked out. I have been pushing so hard lately in the last few months and it was taking its toll. I'm so grateful that I have an amazing assistant, amazing grace to help me out now, but this week has really taught me that just getting an assistant alone is not enough. There needs to be other major changes in my career and my life in order to make things manageable. This last few weeks has been a really interesting experiment and a lot of lessons learned which is perfect for today's episode. In this episode, we're talking with Katie Richardson of Pudge.com, P-U-J.com. Katie is an industrial designer and has an amazing line of kids' products that help simplify parenthood. A few weeks ago, Shanderson22 tagged me on one of her Instagram photos that said, stop the glorification of busy. And she had mentioned that that might be a great Lively Show topic, which I completely agreed with and immediately asked Katie to come on the show to talk more about this subject. As you can tell in my own personal life, this is really perfect timing because I'm working on finding a way to not only make my workday manageable, but also to make it enjoyable again and to bring back the balance in my life as well as in my career. Instead of just putting everything in my life to suit my career, that's not the way I wanna live, that's not actually aligned with my values overall and I need to make some shifts. So this conversation is part of that journey for me and hopefully it's helpful for anyone else out there too. Unlike a typical interview where I'm just asking the questions to Katie, we're actually both going back and forth sharing our own personal struggles with this idea of busy delegating and beyond delegating things, just how to handle things like technology, our schedules and transition time. This is a great conversation that's really both of us exploring this difficult topic. Rather than tell you how we've conquered this, we're really sharing how we are working through this specific journey. I hope that this is helpful and provide some insight or even just some connection to you, what you might be going through right now when it comes to the idea of busy in your own life. Let's go to the show.
1: Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, Jess, I am so thrilled to be here, and I'm excited to tell my story and hopefully inspire somebody who's experienced similar hurdles and success just like I have.
0: Amen. So let's get started. Tell us your background and how you got to where you are. I
1: am an industrial designer. I went to school at BYU. That's where I met my husband. The university is quite large, but the program itself is really small, and I've always been a maker. I love making things. I love welding, woodworking, carpentry sewing. I'm a bit of an artist and a sculptor, but in more of a practical sense, and I've loved making functional things. And so that's how I ended up in the industrial design major. And then from there, we got married, had a couple kids, and I really just felt like I want to be able to work and fulfill that creative side of myself, but also be a stay-at-home mom. And so I decided to start a company, and it was something I had never envisioned myself doing, but My husband was extremely supportive, and we had a couple ideas that we were working on in secret because we wanted to get a patent on it. And so I developed a couple of products that I could put on the market quickly and sell with a decent margin, and that funded the development and patent process for what is now called the Pudge Tub. It's an infant bathtub that hangs in stores flat, and then it folds into a little bucket seat, and it fits into your bathroom sink. That product hit the market Five years ago, and we did over a million dollars just in our first year. So we went from zero to a million. Wow. Those two years, though, of development, prototyping, sourcing, manufacturing, they were hard. (laughs) We were living on, literally, living on rice and beans. I had no more than $120 a month for groceries, diapers. Makeup, ointment, medicine, doctor's visits. How did you do it? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's begging to be asked. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, there were a lot of miracles along the way. There really were. And I think a big part of it was staying optimistic and not pitying us. I I, I didn't feel like we were in the poorhouse. I mean, I, I tried to have a rich mindset a wealthy mindset and an abundance mentality rather than a scarcity mentality. It's something that I still try and work on. It was just all about seeing the positive, seeing the good, and seeing the opportunities rather than focusing on the limitations.
0: Was it really hard going from $120 a month to a million-dollar revenue business? Well, (laughs) (laughs) like I just imagine the mental gymnastics you have to do to get to that place and
1: what you have to process. Sure. Well, I wish a million dollars revenue meant a million dollars in my pocket. I know. Right. And product is such a different beast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the majority of that money goes back into the business. So even having any sort of a paycheck at all, it felt like we were just, you know, rolling in it because we could have pizza once a month now and not not just rice and beans. (laughs) What happened after that point with the
0: bathtub having such success?
1: Okay, so the bathtub took off, and it immediately started getting noticed nationally and internationally. Within a year, we were in about 1,000 stores domestically, and then internationally, we were picked up by 25 different distributors in 25 different countries. So we went from me and my husband and my brother-in-law working for us part-time out of my in-law's basement and shipping from our garage to finding a third-party warehouse— to finding an office and to finding um, working with a lot of contractors because we still weren't to the point where we could start hiring a lot of people. The first person we hired was an in-house personal assistant a secretary. She's with us still today. But learning to manage all of that, there was so much that I had to learn in the process, different things like QuickBooks and what's a minimum order look like and what's a line sheet and how do I invoice people and... What is FOB Taiwan? I had no idea when people started asking me that. (laughs) It means freight on board Taiwan, by the way. And I still didn't know what that meant. But (laughs) (laughs) there is a whole nother language in the business world that you don't ever hear just as a regular consumer. And so to, to see behind the curtain and see how things work in the wholesale business, in the manufacturing business, it was a huge learning curve. And The first two days of our big trade show that we did, I was afraid to open my mouth. I was worried that everyone was going to see that I was a fraud, that I was shipping out of my garage and I didn't know what I was doing and that I had never done this before and that maybe I wasn't going to actually be delivering on these promises that I was making to them. Instead, I was just allowing my husband and my good friend who offered to come and help and work for free at this trade show. I was just passing everybody off to them. And after the second day, my husband came to me. And he said, where is Katie? <laughs> and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, here's a question. So while you're being there
0: silent, what do you think the people on the trade show floor walking up to your booth saw from their vantage point?
1: From their vantage point, they were walking up, and we did an amazing job throwing together on a shoestring budget, throwing together a beautiful booth. If you've ever been to a trade show, you see that everybody visually is trying to get noticed. And they frequently do that by shouting at you with big images or lots of color and um, patterns everywhere. And we took a completely opposite approach. And our booth was completely white. My logo was white. My wall was white. My product is white. Our floor was white. Our sinks to display the bathtub were white. Everything was white. And by being such an understated booth, we actually really stood out and we looked extremely sophisticated and like we knew what we were doing. (laughs) So they looked at you as a pro and you're sitting there feeling like a fraud. Yes. I felt like a fraud because I knew that my glossy white floor was actually $10 sheets of shower board from Home Depot. And I knew that my wall was just a pack of white boxes that I bought at Uline. And I knew that everything was just put onto a credit card. And I was looking around at all these other booths where I had seen they had crews of people come and spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars building these beautiful installations. And I just felt like mine was fake. But what I didn't realize is everyone appreciated the resourcefulness and the artistry of our booth. And they could really see the intention and the purpose And the beauty and simplicity of the product. So it ended up working out really well. And after that conversation with my husband, I just decided, okay, I'm just going to be Katie because people tend to like Katie. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not going to try and fool anybody. And there were still questions that people would ask that I didn't know the answer to. And I would just say, why don't you go ahead and give me your email and I'll email that answer to you. And I, I just kind of, I tried to do my best to satisfy people with the answers that they needed but at the same time not look like I was some ding dong who didn't know what she was doing
0: (laughs) that's a great tip for anyone else out there who doesn't have an answer for someone let me email that answer to you (laughs) yeah (laughs) trade show huge success you do this I'm guessing now full-time as a secondary career to motherhood it sounds
1: like and you have a new product coming up right Yes, all of our products up until this point have focused in the bath category. It just made sense for the consumers for us to build out in the bath category, and then also for all of the buyers that we've been working with on the wholesale side, for them merchandising and on the shelf. It just made sense for everything to be in the bath category. But like I said, I'm I'm an industrial designer and a mom, so I have lots of ideas, and they don't just have to be in the bathroom. (laughs) So right now, Pudge is branching out into the heart of the home and we have a hangable kid cup. I just found that there was a problem in my kitchen with cup pile up, especially by the end of the day. And I've got four kids, three boys, ages 10, eight, and six. And then my daughter just turned one. And it just felt like I was constantly being asked for water. Mom, can I have some water? Mom, can I have some water? And I loved my kids drinking water. Yes, of course. They were to the point where they wanted that independence, but they can't reach their cup up in the cupboard. And so we just decided we have this flexible hook already. It's an adhesive back hook that is slightly flexible. And that flexibility actually gives the hook its strength. And we call it the pudge nub. It's been on the market with our bathtubs and it's been a huge success. People love it. You can peel it and stick it to any smooth surface. And I had just been using it all over my house. I've got them on picture frames as keychain holders and another picture frame and I hang my jewelry on it and I had them on the refrigerator and I was hanging my broom from it. And so it just made sense to put some next to the water dispenser on the refrigerator. And my first prototypes of the, we call the new hangable kid cup it's the Pudge Fill-Up, P-H-I-L-L-U-P. So clever. Yes, thank you. And so I just took my kids' cups and I just drilled a hole in it and we started hanging on the nubs. And right away, anytime a mom would come into my house, they would immediately notice it and they would say, where did you get that? I need that in my house. Because everybody experienced the same problem of the cup pileup. Or the mystery cup on the counter, and I think that one's mine, but I don't know, and I'm not sure, and I don't know if I want to drink out of that one. And so what we've done is we've color-coordinated the nub, the hook, to match the color of your cup. That way your cup always has a home. And my oldest knows his color is blue and the youngest one knows that his color is green and they know which one is their cup and they know right where it goes and they can get their own water. So it's just, it's a simple little thing that makes a huge difference in our home.
0: I love that so much. And it's really, really well done. Your site is spectacular. How's the Kickstarter going? Because I believe it's still on right now.
1: Yes. Kickstarter runs for 30 days, and we reached full funding the first, just over the first 24 hours. Incredible. But the great thing about Kickstarter is you reach that funding, which just means that if you're backing the project, you're guaranteed that it will go into production. We still have stretch goals that we are reaching, and we're going to be announcing a few of those in the next couple of days. So we're not sold out, and people can continue to purchase the product. And they're not just for the kitchen either. I mean, they work great in the bathroom for water when, after you brush your teeth or even holding the toothbrushes. And then I even have it hanging in the bathroom to use it for rinsing off my daughter's hair when I give her a bath. So there's, there's lots of different applications where you need a cup hanging and available and ready to go. Love it. I could imagine crafters also using them with their
0: supplies on their wall. Oh, totally. That's a great idea. I love it. So let's move on to the meat of this conversation, which comes from, I have to thank Shanderson22. I think that's how you're supposed to say her Instagram handle. She tagged me on an Instagram post, which is how I found out about you, that was on your feed that said, stop the glorification of busy. She's like, Jess, this needs to be a lively show episode. And I was like, you are right, Shanderson22. This does need to be an episode.
1: (laughs) And I reached out to you right away. Yes, you did. Where did this come from? Well, I get people a lot of times at the gym or at the grocery store, people in my community who know me, know I have a business, and they want to know how everything's going. And they ask, how's everything going? And I found myself frequently saying, great, we're super busy. (laughs) That is so true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just keeping busy. And it's like the new fine. Instead of saying, I'm fine, it's like, I'm busy. Yes.
1: Yes. And it started to get to the point, though, where I felt like, I couldn't think straight anymore and I wasn't able to be present when I was home and I just felt like I was too busy. I started to think maybe this being busy thing isn't a great thing and maybe I'm being stretched too thin and maybe I need to take a step back and I'm really great at simplifying products but maybe I need to start simplifying my life and it's been a process and I feel like I'm still in it. It's learning how to balance my life and That's a question that people ask me a lot since I have four kids and I have a business. What's your work-life balance? And I feel like there's no autopilot. I can't find balance and then just hit a button and we just are on cruise control from that point on. I have to be very intentional and find balance and focus every day. And a lot of that is through my schedule and just how I have set up my day. But then there are times when I still feel like, Maybe I'm still too busy and I just need a break and maybe that just means a walk around the block or shutting everything off and just opening up a book or turning everything off and playing on the ground with my daughter and not thinking about work and not thinking about all the responsibilities that I have and being okay with taking a break, being okay with going for some exercise and taking time for myself and not feeling guilty about that. That was something that I found as well. So I was feeling a lot of guilt in my life. We talked about how I had very limited grocery budget for a long time. And so when I finally could afford to buy groceries for my family, I felt really guilty every time I spent money. So I I try to be very conscious of any of those negative feelings in my life. And I try to replace them with something else. So rather now, instead of feeling guilty, guilt when I buy groceries for my family. I try and feel really grateful that I can do this for my family and that we can have fresh fruit in our home and we're not just eating out of a can all the time. Instead of feeling guilty when I take time for myself, I'm trying to feel gratitude that I have that time to myself.
0: Yes. And I think what's fascinating about this, and I really want to hone in on, is the thing that I think is the juicy nugget is the glorification yes. of busy. Yes. You just described all the ways that you try to not live in a busy way, but let's talk about the glorification of the word busy in our culture, especially as women, and especially as women online. And then if you could get even drill up even further, women online that are doing something like a motherhood and a business, right? Yeah. That glorification of busy can become almost like a social status. Yeah, of course. It's kind of interesting because sometimes I feel like I have friends that have huge platforms and they're always busy. <laughs> It does seem like almost a social status situation. But then there are other times where I, for example, in the last week could probably have said other people could say the same about me. And it doesn't actually feel good. I actually got to the point where I was bawling my eyes out last night at 10... P.M. because I had worked all day. I went to, I did go to dinner. So I ate food at dinner and I wasn't working then. But the rest (laughs) of the day, I was completely working and I was editing this episode for this week's show. So we're recording this a little bit early. But the point was, it had been three days where I'd worked past 9 p.m. and I was in tears because I had so much to do and there was not enough time to do it. So that's obviously not the glorification of it. That's literally like breaking point of busy. But it is such a challenge to, deal with the busy when it happens and also to make sure that the glorification doesn't become a social status.
1: Yes. Well, and see, I feel like that's part of the problem is because everyone is so busy. It feels like if you're not busy, then you're doing something wrong. And that's not right. It's like walking down the street and seeing everybody's a little bit overweight. And so I'm okay if I'm a little overweight. To me, that's not a good way to assess your life. And when everybody is feeling busy um, and we feel like we need to get caught up in that, for me, that's when I start to lose who I am. My husband is a really hard worker. And for some reason, he doesn't know where his threshold is. He could just work, 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 work. And I feel like I'm very in tune with where my threshold is. And if I reach my limit or if I'm even getting close, I just tell him, okay, Katie needs a break. (laughs) I'm going to take a break. There's other things that are indicators for me. If I'm too stressed out, I start to get canker sores in my mouth, and that's not fun. And our body has a way of telling us when we're taking on too much of a big load. About four years ago, I started to become a big advocate of taking care of myself. And I exercise every day. I drink lots of water I try and stay super positive and keep anything that's negative out of my life. Usually that means not watching the news, not watching very much TV. And I I try and feed my mind, body, and soul with goodness as best I can. I
0: love that. I'm wondering, in a society sense, the bigger lens, because the glorification of busy is pretty prevalent right now, I'm wondering what we can do in our everyday to stop the glorification. And one thing for me is now, as I mentioned yesterday, you're probably like, oh, you guys, like sure. you're crying and you're so busy. I realized I had to get an assistant, an extra assistant. I have a new person who's going to be helping me with some things, but I need even more help <laughs> than just that. It's ironic, and I think this is something to be shared. I've had many people help, and I've definitely built teams over the years of my career in different types of businesses and in different phases. This, for some reason, though, did feel different, and it felt harder to make that leap for some reason because what I do is much more personally driven. It's not so product-based, like making jewelry. It was very easy for me to go. I don't even like making jewelry that much. Let's just hire some people to have the help. That kind of product business, I easily saw where delegation was necessary. But with what I do now, with the class I teach and with my podcast, it has been a lot harder to find those (laughs) places where people can help. But I will say, having the tears and then having Mr. Lively write down the list of 15 things I didn't have time to get to that were very huge. They just were all of these little threads like tax things in Texas and and taxes for last year and issues with 1099s for people that have worked for me. All these little things that I hadn't gotten to. And yeah. I had huge, massive things that are very important, like talking with you, getting shows up on time and all these other things. He was Helping me realize, even though that's not stuff I've previously delegated in the past, it's not stuff that can't be done by someone else. And he proved it by getting it all done this morning. I almost felt guilty because he and my friend Ashley, who's my associate producer for the show, came in and like literally they took over all the things I didn't have time for. And it was suddenly, it's oh like goodness. a really bizarre feeling right now. <laughs> but it's powerful. For those who have delegated in the past and are struggling now, don't get stuck where you are. Move past the limiting beliefs that you have in this phase, just because you've been good at it in the past. There could be a time where it feels like you can't do it when that may not really be the case.
1: Absolutely. And understanding what your priorities are and and knowing what exactly you, just what you're very best at and being able to focus on that and then outsourcing everything else is the key to really driving whatever business it is that you have. It's Interesting as I delegate to my employees, either my assistants or my PR, I still have to overcome this feeling like I'm asking them a favor. How do you do that? (laughs) I'm still working on it, but (laughs) I just have to remind myself they're an employee and they're they're grateful to have this job and they need work to work on and this is helping them and their family. It's funny, I frequently feel like I'm asking them a favor. By giving them their responsibilities and their work. Because for so long, like you, I carried so many responsibilities. The only way to grow your business is to start offloading those responsibilities onto other people so that you can really focus on what you are best at. Exactly. And
0: it's not just about small business. This could be people with day jobs or moms that have a lot on their plate that need to get help. Maybe it's in the home or maybe it's with the cleaning or something else. Sure, It was very fascinating as I sat there crying to Mr. Lively last night and going through all (laughs) the limiting beliefs we can have about letting someone else take over. I have to figure out this tax thing. No, I don't. Mr. Lively did it fine. He did it great, and I don't have to worry about it. Or, you know, even it was as simple as printing out the documents and addressing them and putting the stamp on the form. So all I had to do was sign it, and then it goes in the mail. I didn't have to do that, but I thought I have to print these things. I have to, you know, obviously I signed it, but everything else about that did not need to be me. He emailed my accountant for me asking questions that I have, so I didn't have to spend the time doing it. But something that I found myself thinking is this week I interviewed Jessica Turner of the Fringe Hours for the show. She's going to be on in a few weeks with her new book. And I compared myself to her because she is someone who's roughly the same age, has two kids, a full-time job. She has a blog and she wrote a book and she doesn't have help with their home I don't have kids, I don't have the full-time job and the other stuff, but here I am sitting here five days without washing my hair. (laughs) I finally showered so Ashley wouldn't smell me today. (laughs) And I haven't had a chance to buy contact solution, so I'm using like the travel thing that I have left over from all of (laughs) them. Obviously there's a disconnect and me comparing myself to Jessica Turner in her life and her situation is not doing me any favors. It's just keeping me stuck in a miserable cry fest 10 p.m. to midnight on a
1: Wednesday night. Yes. Yeah. That darn comparison. I mean, that's one of the worst things that comes from social media. It's so easy to look at other people's highlight reel and feel like you're not measuring up and there's more you need to be doing. You need to push harder. But I think about your conversation between you and your husband and how honest you were with yourself. That's something that I've had to learn to be better at. It's really important to ask yourself those really hard questions and be honest with yourself and open and have somebody that you can have those conversations with who will hold you accountable to it in a good way and help you to learn and grow and become a better person, a better entrepreneur, a better mother, a better friend. Good for you for having those honest conversations. It was a breakdown. It was
0: not. <laughs> it was definitely not a. Here I am having my mo-. no. It was me crying for a few minutes just out of exhaustion. It's okay if there's tears during those honest questions. <laughs> And you know, this is something I found fascinating. And I I actually think I might have him on the show to explain this. He talked about how agile programming and how his team at his office, they focus in his company on having 80% capacity for their workload each week, not 100, not 130%, 80%. So they literally shoot low on what they're trying to accomplish. So they commit to each week creating these sprint planning and they say, this is what I'm planning on doing in the next week. And they undershoot what they think is capable. And I sat there going, well, what about if you shoot for the moon, you hit the stars? And he goes, honestly, things take, sometimes he says in the programming world, they have to double-double the time they think something will take. Something that you think might take two hours, may actually, if you double that, that's four, and then you double it again, and that's eight. And I thought, that's nice but kind of ridiculous. And then I found myself this week, just as a a testament to this, I did a media kit for the show. And that would take me two hours. But eight hours later, I was
1: pressing send. Oh, I believe it, 100%. That's interesting. I like that 80% rule. My husband went to Japan a couple of years ago as part of a business trip. And he brought me home a gift. And the gift was a Japanese saying that, People say at the end of a meal, they say hadahachi bon mei. And what that means, I don't speak Japanese, by the way, and I probably totally just butchered that. (laughs) But what it means is I'm 80% full, and that's something that we try and use in our family. In my home growing up, we used to say, I'm stuffed. I can't fit anything else in, I'm stuffed. So it's interesting to think about eating, stopping at 80% and not stuffing yourself till you can't move, and, and applying that same principle to your life. And only taking on 80% because we all know that there's more filler that pops up in between and lots of unexpected. And if we take on 100% and then something else pops up, that's when we have our breakdown so funny you say this. You're literally setting this up (laughs) for
0: me. (laughs) What actually started the actual tears and the whole thing besides working for so much was also totally right. What you're saying was exactly the truth. At 9 p.m. as I'm, you know, trying to get this episode done, he comes in the room and says, guess what? My parents are swinging through. They're going to spend the night with us tomorrow night. And we had had plans (laughs) with a friend who's also visiting in town to have dinner with him. So he couldn't reschedule. And now suddenly I had in-laws in town. That was the thing that broke the camel's back. Like, I kind of thought the balls are sort of okay. This one little thing, which could be a positive thing, set me into tears because of everything else. I had no more mental bandwidth to take anything on. And that's how life is. I can't imagine with four children how many things I feel like you need to have 50% because just having children alone would fill the rest of the things that week.
1: Yeah, the kids are certainly their own factor. I noticed. My daily schedule, I just felt like I was always running behind for everything. We were late to church. We were late to drop kids off at school. We were late to piano. We were late to basketball. We were late to soccer. And I, I started to notice that it was not accounting for what I call transition. Yes. Something ended at 2 and another thing started at 2.30. I was not factoring in the transition time, the downtime that everybody needs in between and the time it takes to gather everybody up and actually physically get into the car or even just packing my bag for the rest of the afternoon. So that's something as a mom I've had to learn is to factor in transition time and I found myself always saying to my kids, hurry, 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 come on, hurry, get your shoes on, hurry up and grab your bag. we got to go, we're running late. And I just felt like I was always talking to them (laughs) like this and it just is not any way to live your life. And I wanted to be able to enjoy sitting down and helping them put their shoes on rather than being annoyed with them that they didn't already do it themselves. And so certainly in home and at work, I'm trying to factor in this transition time and allow for the downtime in between so that we're not just jumping from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and never getting a second to take a breath and just enjoy life. I just try and make sure, it's it's similar to what you were saying with you and your husband and factoring in time and timesing it by two and then two again. If I think that it's going to take us 15 minutes, then yeah, factor in 45. Because it's always going to take more and... Somebody can't find their shoe and it's going to take us 10 minutes to find that shoe, darn it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: For those who maybe do have kids or maybe don't, that I am been also working on this specific week. Everyone talks now, it's kind of, I think, commonly known that even just looking at our phones or the idea of, Checking our phones gives us a hit oh, of dopamine yeah. because there's this surprise in information we don't know about yet and we want to know. So I've heard Jonathan Field say, it's now to the point where even us looking at the phone, not checking the phone, not turning it on, but let's like just looking at the phone creates that dopamine hit. What I've realized is, all right, it's addictive, it's legal and it's a stimulant. It's an addictive legal stimulant. This is my new paradigm shift. I don't drink during my work day or, you know, I'm not- yes regularly or anything like that. (laughs) So why am I checking my social media (laughs) throughout the entire workday? Isn't that kind of, I call it e-brain, but isn't e-brain kind of distracting us to the point where our effectiveness, it's maybe a dramatic statement, but kind of like being a little bit intoxicated.
1: (laughs) Totally. I know exactly what you're talking about. I experience that a lot because I mostly work remotely. And so I try to work When my daughter's taking her nap and the kids are at school, you know, I'll get my work done and then, like you said, my phone will ding or I feel like I need to look at it and I'm distracted and I'm not in the moment with my daughter and I'm not paying attention to whatever her needs are in the moment and then I become frustrated. My husband and I have have set some new rules or parameters for our phones. We were going to bed every night, each of us next to each other on the bed, but our face in our own phone and not paying attention to each other and then waking up the same way. And we just decided that is not how we want to live our life. And so we have a new, I don't want to call it rule, but expectation, I guess. that that is that we don't bring our phones into the bedroom. It's a way for us to keep that addiction out of our hand, out of our pocket, out of reach, and then forces us <laughs> to have a Face-to-face conversation and talk about something that isn't social media related or uh, news related or work related, but really try and just focus on where's our life going? Where do we want it to go? How are the kids doing? How can we help them grow in this area? And really just focus on life and our family and not the distractions. Because ultimately, I feel that's what that's what a lot of is going on on my phone and through Work emails and social media is ultimately, most of it is just a distraction.
0: Amen. I too, I, I ditched the phone in the bedroom to the point where now it feels a little bit stressful to have it in there. Like I have an adverse reaction to having the phone there. And I will say, I also have a really great morning routine where I'm meditating all the things people say to do, right? Start your morning. Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all good, and you could be a great human till 9 a.m. when you, whatever, your your morning routine's done, sure. But if you're feeling every moment, and I'm speaking to myself as of Tuesday, I'm speaking to Tuesday Jess right now. (laughs) Great morning routine, awesome for you, gold star. But guess what, if you're checking your phone every other little moment or little nugget of time and chunk of space in your day, it still makes you a miserable human. It doesn't mean anything to not have it in the bedroom at night or in the morning and then check every other time. So for me with this legal addictive stimulant idea, you know, we have happy hour where we drink at the evening times (laughs) after the workday is done. My next experiment, my newest one, has been to create a reminder twice a day at 10.30 right now it's set at and 4.30. It's going to remind me to check my social media. But any other time I'm tempted to, I can go, wait, My phone's not reminding me to do that. Right now is like drinking on the job (laughs) instead of waiting till the appropriate time to do so. Are you addicted to Instagram like Tuesday Jess was or recovering Jess
1: is still working on? (laughs) Oh, Jess, man, I have certainly had my addictive periods, but I noticed that the way I start my day is really important. So if I start my day with that addiction in mind and I'm constantly checking... It's hard to pull out of it. If I can resist for the first couple hours in the morning, so my morning routine, I wake up, I nurse my daughter still, and then I head to the gym for a couple hours. For the most part, I like to listen to music. I have a couple of Pandora stations that I like to listen to, and it just helps me kind of zone out because I think it's really important to take time to just not always be thinking and strategizing, but to actually just relax your mind, even though you're awake and alert. What's happening with your kids getting to school and your daughter after that point? Okay, so I go really early. I get home from the gym at about 7.30, and that's when my kids are starting to wake up. My husband is home, and he's with the kids, but he's frequently still in bed getting up at the same time. So I get up at 5, and I head out, and I get home as they're waking up. But it gives me time to go and do cardio and even lift some weights. I find that by pushing my body physically... It really helps me throughout the day mentally. It gives me the mental strength that I need to make it through my day and to have that energy that I need to both run a business and be a mom. And I need it every day. And if I don't, it's very obvious that mom has not had her. You didn't go to the gym this morning, did you mom? (laughs) You know, we only get so much patience every day and I have to go to the gym and I fill up my patience bucket every day. And if I don't fill it up, then I don't have any patience. I lose it pretty quickly. That's powerful. There's been a lot of research I've heard about
0: recently that have said that if you do any type of exercise in the morning, you're gonna get A, the benefits of it like you've shared for the rest of your day, but also it's gonna help you fall asleep at night better. So even just 10 minutes in the morning, if you're gonna do a full workout later, don't write off the morning exercise completely because it helps your circadian
1: rhythm. Oh my goodness. I have a very good circadian rhythm and I it's funny because my husband, he'll want to talk about something work related after the kids are asleep and even after we've kind of done our winding down. It'll be ten o'clock and I'm ready. I'm done. I I got up at five, I'm ready to hit the sack. And <laughs> he'll look at me and he's like, Come on, Katie, just ten more minutes. Can you just give me ten <laughs> more minutes? And I keep telling him, Look, this is a train I cannot stop. I just <laughs> You got to just let me, (laughs) I just got to close my eyes. And I like, I physically cannot stop it. That is another thing is I'm a solid sleeper. I sleep very well at night and I hadn't stopped to consider that that morning exercise was a big factor, but I sleep solid. And in the summer I can, I can whittle it down to six hours when there's more sunlight during the day. But in the winter, I live in the Northwest and we don't get as much sun and I need at least eight hours in the winter.
0: I have a question for you. This is another limiting belief I had to get
1: over. Have you gotten help outside of your business? I think this is something that does need to be talked about because for a long time, I I didn't take a minute to step back and really consider the fact that I'm a full-time mom and I'm trying to run a business and I, you know, I, I volunteer at my church and I help at the kids' school and there's lots of responsibilities in my life. And so I felt like I just need to do it all. And of course, there's lots and lots of Housework that needs to be done. And my husband kept saying, We needed just to have somebody come and help clean the house a couple times a month. And I felt guilty about that for a long time. And I I wouldn't let him do it. I just felt like we didn't have the money. And what are my friends going to think? What's my mother in law going (laughs) to (laughs) think? But it finally reached the point where I was just like, Okay, this isn't fair. Clearly our house is suffering because I have all these balls in the air and I can't do it all. Having somebody come clean my house twice a month, that's something that somebody else can do. And somebody else is happy to have that job and that opportunity. Sure, I would rather love to just keep that money, but at the same time, We notice a big difference in everybody's mood in my family when our house is clean. And so we, we all do a great job keeping it picked up for the most part during the week. But then I have somebody who comes twice a month and just does dusting and mopping and wiping everything down and just keeping it nice and clean. And that organization in the home translates into other areas in our life. So it's been good. It's been huge. It's one of those little things that, again, I just... When they come, there's, it's a sweet Russian couple, and when they come, I'm just so grateful that they're here, that they're helping me, and that they're so happy to have the work. I've never had a nanny, but I have really good friends that I'm happy to do trades with. So um, if I need help with my daughter, like currently, I'm trading with a friend, and she's at a friend's house right now, which is fun for her to go and have a little bit of independence and explore somebody else's house. And then my mother-in-law is also extremely helpful. She is the whole reason my business even exists because she is just the world's best grandma and she loves being grandma and she looks for opportunities to help out and to watch the kids for me so that I, if I need to travel or if I have meetings or interviews, she's very willing and happy to watch the kids for me. And she's close by, so it's super convenient. And the way that you can figure out what responsibilities you maintain and which ones you can start to farm out to other people is just knowing and understanding what your priorities are like at pudge our values are simplicity family independence and freedom and now and wow and that's something that really dictates everything that we do whether it's our interactions with our customers directly whether it's how we work with our distributors or our wholesalers It even dictates the actual design process of our products. In personal life and in business, if you know what your priorities are and what you value most, and you can literally prioritize one through 27, what's most important to you in your life, and then start delegating the responsibilities that you can get off of your plate and get other people to help out in the same mission and cause.
0: Here's what I used to say when I was good at this. (laughs) I used to tell my clients... (laughs) If you did something and your assistant did something and then a third party person judged the outcome of it would they be able to tell the difference between who did it or would the outcome be identical is there anything that you know that is your special sauce and it's your one thing especially as a mother and in your career
1: oh man my special sauce my husband and i are both industrial designers and yet we have completely different approaches. We have very similar aesthetic and we both are looking for a similar end goal, but I'm somebody who I trust my gut a lot. And a lot of times I will go in a certain direction because it feels right and it feels good, whether that's in design, whether that's in business. He is very analytical and is very um, thoughtful in how he does it. And he wants to understand and know why he feels like something is a good direction and why he feels like that's the direction it should go. I don't know if this is a good attribute, but I feel like I have a pretty good gut and I'm, I'm very in tune with that. and I, I can tell when something's working and when it's not very early on just by the way I feel about it. What doubts or
0: resistance have you had to face in your life?
1: Early on, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe in my skills. I didn't believe in my abilities. I would tell myself I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I don't know how to start a business. Who's going to put my product on their shelf? I was always telling myself, you're not good enough. You can't do this. You're going to run into problems. And early on, I had a lot of people around me who believed in me. For example, I, I took one of my first products to a local boutique, I actually wasn't even taking my products to her. My kids were wearing them. She came and grabbed me and said, I go to all the trade shows and this stuff is hot. Where'd you get it? And I said, oh, really? You like it? Oh, I just made it for my kids. You know, I just like to make stuff. And she said, well, I want you to make it for my boutique. And I said, you do? Oh, yes, yes. And she like placed an order right away. I came home and I told my husband, hey, I'm going to make all this stuff for this boutique. And he said, what? You are not making it. And he said, you're already busy enough. He said, we're going to get somebody else to make this. This is going to be a real business.
0: (laughs) The first day you come home and you're like, hey, honey. Totally. Yes.
1: I found a local seamstress who started making my stuff. And I just, I decided, okay, well, if this boutique wants it, maybe I'll go to a couple others in the area. And within a week, I'd sold like 75 slings, these carriers that I did for a long time. And I thought, oh, wow, maybe this could go somewhere. I went to another uh, regional trade show, and I just had product on my bag. And any time I pulled it out, it was like this swarm of bees just surrounded me and all these store buyers everybody wanted my product and i thought okay well maybe maybe i can start selling this regionally <laughs> and then i had a global creative director at nike who was he was starting another business at the time and he saw my stuff and he did the same thing he said i want to start manufacturing these for you in china and can i start doing this and he was going to put his brand on it and this first boutique that i went to when i told her that we were going to do that she said what Why would you ever put somebody else's logo on your design? And again, I I started to say, well, I'm I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I don't really know what I'm doing. And she said, no, you need to make your own brand and you need to put your own brand on there. This is you. This is representing you. And she really believed in me. There were a lot of times when I had to lean on the belief of other people around me, when I wasn't sure of myself, when I had a lot of doubts, because... We know our whole story. We're the only ones who know our own personal story. We know our weaknesses. And, you know, I was choosing at that time to focus on my weaknesses rather than seeing all the the good that was coming out of my products and my creations. And so I had to lean on other people. I was telling you the story of our product. The first trade show I ever took the Pudge Tub to, it was in New York. We'd been developing the tub for two years We'd been living off very little income and living off of food storage. I take it to the show. We've got all our money in it. People loved it, but nobody placed an order. And when I came home, I felt like I'd failed miserably. My husband, I remember we were in the garage. We were boxing up product. and It was cold, and I was tired, and I was ready to throw in the towel, and He pulled out the camera and he said, come on, let's take a picture. Someday, Katie, we're going to be shipping these tubs all over the world. It was soon after that that we took it to the trade show. And then all of a sudden, we're in 25 different countries. And so again, at that point in my life, I had to lean on my husband and his belief in me. Because I was focusing too heavily on my doubts and my fears still today there are lots of times when i have to lean on other people's belief in me or even lean into that doubt and fear and just charge at it and face it head on and and figure out how to get past it that is so well said thank you so what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey oh man if somebody tells you no then you're doing something right because (laughs) i got so many no's in the beginning Really? It sounds like everything was, I need you to do
0: this, and everyone kept pushing you into it.
1: No, I I still had plenty of no's, whether or not they were coming from me or other people. I mean, like I said, I came home from that trade show with not one order. Just because people are telling you no or they're not interested, I learned very quickly that just means they're not my customer. There are a lot of people in this world, and not everybody is going to be your customer, and that's okay, and just move on know your priorities and your values. That's something that has dictated everything that I do. And I I stick to them at all costs. I'll give you an example. Recently, we just launched this Kickstarter that you were talking about. And as we were getting ready to put together that video and shoot the video, we had coordinated with Several other people on the team, everybody was going to be flying into one location. And three days before this happened, I realized that I was scheduled to be out of town during my son's Christmas piano concert. He had worked extremely hard at this piece. He was playing Carol of the Bells. And when he said he wanted to play Carol of the Bells, I thought, you're crazy. You're not at that level. (laughs) And he worked at it so hard and he mastered it and he was so good at it. So the idea of missing his recital was just heartbreaking to me. And family is a priority to me, and it's a value that we at Pudge we honor. For me to be out of town for my son's piano concert, I just felt like that's not good for me, and it's not good for my brand. So I emailed everybody on the team, and I just said, hey, is there any way that we can do this on this date and have you guys fly here we rearranged everything, and it ended up working way better that way, both just for me and the Kickstarter video. I think it turned out fabulous, don't you, Jess? <laughs> yes, it was amazing. The whole thing is amazing, the whole thing. I was able to be there for his recital, and it was just, oh, I was so proud of him. He'd worked so hard on it, and I, I was able to accomplish our goal within Pudge, and I was able to be here for him and show him that he's really important to me, because he is. I'm reading right now, Awaken the Giant Within,
0: which is a Tony Robbins. Love Tony Robbins. So right now I'm reading about how we need to ask better questions to get better answers. And it sounds like a case study of what you just explained, because you, the question you could have asked yourself is, should I drop the trip or go on the trip? Which one is it going to be? Instead, you said, how can I do both? And you found the answer that worked for that question.
1: Yeah, that's fabulous. Yes. So knowing your values and priorities is really important. Taking care of yourself, again, is really important. Get your exercise, drink lots of water, get sleep, take breaks when you need them. And for heaven's sakes, have some fun. Any thoughts, thoughts on this idea of glorification of busy and how to stop glorifying it? Stop telling yourself and other people that you're busy and thinking that's a great thing because it's not. I don't think being busy is good. Being productive is great. Maybe we should start saying that. How is everything going? Good. I'm super productive right now. <laughs> But we also have to be careful
0: that the productivity is aligned with our values and not just with the amount of stuff we possibly can get done because then we can get into the same chasing of how much can we do, which is like – so productive could become another synonym for busy.
1: That's true. I agree. For me, it comes down to being very intentional in how I lay out my day. Like I said, laying out those priorities, making sure that I am – being a mother, being present when I'm a mother, and then also fulfilling my responsibilities at work. And just being very intentional and stop saying the word hurry. <laughs> 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 hurry, hurry, hurry. For me, adding in that transition time has been huge. It allows for all those little unknowns. Don't feel bad about taking a break or taking some time off. Those quiet times, those down times are really important. Whether or not that involves a family vacation or even just a family hike. Don't feel bad about not working and being in tune with who you are.
0: Thank you so much, Katie, for coming on the show. I hope this is what Shanderson22 was hoping to get out of this
1: conversation. (laughs) And I thank you so much for taking time with us. Yes, Jess, it was a total pleasure and you're such an inspiration and I love your optimism and your outlook on life and You are somebody who asks a lot of great questions. And like you said, Tony Robbins does a good job talking about that. And I'm trying to ask myself a lot of questions right now. And it's fun to have these conversations and discuss it because I feel like everybody is is experiencing these similar hurdles in one form or another in their life.
0: And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Katie, thank you for coming on the show. If you would like to send Katie a message to tell her about how this show has helped or affected you, please go over to Instagram or Twitter. Her handle is at P-U-J Baby. That's Pudge Baby. And my Instagram and Twitter is at Jess C. Lively. May something wonderful happen to you today.